The first episode, fam, is firstly for folk finding fortitude, fighting fucking fake news with accuracy. Accurate facts, FYI. I curse. I'm Sai, that guy who welcomes you to his show, so you want to be a better ally. Hee <laughs> hee. If you struggle to have conversations about the history of racism and why the effects don't just go away, and no, people are not making a big deal out of nothing, then this is for you. Today we're starting off with a history lesson about colonization, because you know what they say, colonization is the root of all evil. Oh wait, is it the love of colonization that's the root of all evil? Either way, colonization is responsible for everything from the genocide of countless indigenous nations to why your emoji defaults are still white people or the Simpson yellow that means white people. So to find out how, and more importantly, how to fight back, stay tuned after the <laughs> that starts right after this. <laughs> text bless the musicians my show sounds good <laughs> holla to noah king for that theme jam ah oh, i was planning on saving that credit for the end but you needed to know that child did right by me right now <laughs> thank you noah so anyway back on topic so how will we learn about colonizers today i'm so glad you asked i'll explain the terrors of colonization using a picture book you hopefully know the hungry hungry caterpillar by eric carl Real quick, as a disclaimer, what I'm not doing is saying the caterpillar represents colonizers taking over the world, because that's not literary theory. A racist can go right behind me and say the caterpillar represents black people consuming all the resources in America. No. I chose this book because it's about a character taken over by gluttony who wants to consume everything they should not have until they are met with pain and finally give in to eating what they should. That's the story. The caterpillar woke up each day throughout one week and decided to eat everything except one green leaf. And then he got sick. Then he finally needed to admit the truth and ate the damn green leaf like he was supposed to. If anything, the caterpillar is a diabetic. This is a cautionary tale for unhealthy eating habits and describes a very unhealthy consumer, which is what a colonizer is. So I decided to make a satirical piece about it that will read for you right now. To take a break from listening to me for just a moment, I've got a member from my skit crew to read this story. Skit crew is in, oh, skit crew. <laughs> Drag race reference. <laughs> Anywho, without further ado, let's listen to our rendition of The Hungry Hungry Caterpillar called The Hungry Hungry Colonizer, written by moi and read for you by Kajori Bhattacharya. Take it away, girl. On Sunday, an egg-white colonizer landed on a continent by accident with a ship. 
When he looked around at everything he could eat, his eyes went wide and his mouth started watering. This looked like one tasty continent to him, and that's when he realized that he was very, very, very hungry. On Monday, he ate one piece of land that belonged to a native tribe. On Tuesday, he gobbled up two of those natives and sold them into slavery. On Wednesday, he ate three indigenous products and sold them overseas as his own, capitalizing off the natives' labor and land. On Thursday, the colonizer munched through the natives' ownership and drafted four treaties promising the natives that the land was still theirs. Then was like, eh, never mind. On Friday, not liking how the natives talked about him, the colonizer consumed their children and rewrote history five times to make himself look better. On Saturday, that colonizer really went to town and ate and ate and ate those natives up. He gentrified their neighborhoods, standardized his language as the white, I'm sorry, right language, built everything from monuments to pipelines on their barrel grounds, started the Atlantic slave trade, indoctrinated millions upon millions in each generation, but then, you know what? That poor colonizer felt sick. He got an upset stomach. What he was consuming did not agree with him, and he had to rest. Then, it was Sunday again. And you know what that colonizer decided to eat instead? Another piece of indigenous land, starting his ravenous cycle all over again. On he went, continuing his diet of other people's cultures, bodies, and territories. Never relenting and only growing fatter and fatter and fatter, urged on by the promise of his manifest destiny, while feeling no remorse because he was vindicated with ideas like this being the white man's burden. On he went, with no stopping in sight, forever and ever. The End Wasn't that good? Y'all, I'd be clapping, but that's a no-no in the studio. I can't do that. <laughs> that's bad production, so I'm spiritually clapping right now. I'm clapping in the air. I've got a million angels. <laughs> a million angels are clapping right now. Great job. All right, so now in The Hungry Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carl, at the end of the caterpillar's binge eating, the caterpillar finds a green leaf and eats it, right? The moment they do, they build a chrysalis and turn into a butterfly. So where is the leaf here? Answer, there is no leaf. <laughs> there is no one quick fix, no one cure-all, no one solution to colonization and the sheer damage it causes. So that's the moral of the story. Yay! Podcast over. <laughs> but, but wait, there is another moral, and it lies in the fact that the colonizer's stomach gets upset. Recuerda, his food does not agree with him. It fights back. Let's look at how by going through the story a second time and seeing what these B-I-P-O-C do to fight off the colonizer's insatiable hunger. So, let's rewind. <laughs> rewind. <laughs> I think I can say it a third time or else I'm going to take copyright. Okay, let's see. Oh, here. Let's stop. On Monday, he ate one piece of land that belonged to a native tribe. Right, so on Monday, they took a piece of land, but not without a fight, or in this case, a war. So how about three and one? 
After losing a war against a dickwad named William Henry Harrison, natives of Indiana Territory made an exit stage right to Florida and joined with the Seminoles in that area, which was just in time to help the Seminoles fight off other dickwad settlers invading their land in the First and Second Seminole Wars. On Tuesday, he gobbled up two of those natives and sold them into slavery. Right, and on Tuesday he sold them slaves, but not without a fight. But you might be saying slaves fighting back? Oh my, really? I don't think it's that big of a shocker. However, I did find really two good stories that I'm going to use for this one. First is the Natchez Massacre of 1729, because the plot is amazing. Basically, this is like in French Louisiana, which has both Native and African slaves. On November 28, 1729, hunters from the Natchez tribe had a genius idea and asked the French, Hey, can I have a gun for this fish? And the French settlers were like, why? And they were like, to hunt. And the French go, sure. And then gave them guns. And then the Natchez promptly was like, to hunt you, motherfuckers. <laughs> Slaughtering 237 men, women, and children with the help of some slaves who were like, it was that easy this whole time? The second slave rebellion that I'll cover is the Nat Turner's Rebellion, which began on August 22nd, 1831. And it actually has like a fun little ditty to it. <clears throat> Old Nat Turner had an ex. He gave his master 40 wax when he saw what he had done. He gave the rest of his family 41, along with like 70 armed slaves and freed blacks who like set out to slaughter the white neighbors who enslaved them. <laughs> By the end of the next day, like that was on day one, the end of the next day, 50 to 65 whites had been killed by the rebellion as they moved towards Jerusalem, Virginia. On Wednesday, he ate three indigenous products and sold them overseas as his own, capitalizing off the natives' labor and land. Yes, the indigenous products. You know, nowadays, that's just cultural appropriation. We have a lot of examples of that one. But for the, you know, case in point, you know, we got like coffee, not invented by white people, right? Cocoa, which is only called cocoa, by the way, because the British can't say cacao. I mean, like, there's literally everything else. You know, you got tobacco, tea, rice, greens, beans, tomatoes, hams, name, you name it. And But most importantly, seasonings. And we all know what happened to seasonings. Just look at potato salad. On Thursday, the colonizer munched through the natives' ownership and drafted four treaties promising the natives that the land was still theirs. Then was like, eh, never mind. In the treaties, yep. I mean, there were over 500 treaties between the U.S. and Native Americans that went unrecognized just between 1778 and 1871. I mean, I wish I had the time. But just to generalize, each promised the same thing. This is your land. Yes. And each was met with the same issue. They wrote that, not us. That was too long ago, and it no longer counts. And the natives be like, says who? And the white folk like, says this new law we just made up that says it no longer counts. We're right, you're wrong, you're fired. On Friday, not liking how the natives talked about him, the colonizer consumed their children and rewrote history five times to make himself look better. On Friday, he wrote history five, yeah, okay, five times. I mean, if I have to pick, I'd start off simple, right? So number one, George Washington's teeth. Did you learn it was wooden? Which grade? Mine was like in third, but newsflash, nope, slaves, slave teeth, ew, 
Number two, remember the Alamo. Do you remember the Alamo? What about it do you remember really? That it was a loss that inspired Americans onto victory or that it was us robbing Mexico from Mexicans? Just wondering. Number three, you've got boarding schools that Native Americans were forced to go into to be indoctrinated in exactly the way I just mentioned. Number four, Thanksgiving. I mean, really? Really? Like, that's a lie. Indians and pilgrims just got along famously and ate together. Yeah, no. Big fat lie. Obvious reasons. See above. Number five. So I was going to say Juneteenth because that was like a huge shock to the masses this year, apparently. But to be honest... Because it makes it easier for me and my producer. And because it's good practice in general. Literally everything in history you've learned should be second-guessed. See, a colonizer is going to bury facts that don't make them look good and decorate it, then feed it to children. Because rare is the child that will question and have the power to continue questioning adults in authority at traditional schools on these things. Thus, entire generations are raised with the wrong information, with biased information. To fight back, you know who's really good at keeping collections of accurate, peer-reviewed, non-biased information? Libraries. That's literally a librarian's job, yo. You can check in with your kids often, too, by the way. Ask them not what you learned today, but what you learn in history. And if they give you attitude, you can add, tell me or you can't eat dinner. He gentrified their neighborhoods, standardized his language as the white, I'm sorry, right language, built everything from monuments to pipelines on their barrel grounds, starred the Atlantic slave trade, indoctrinated millions upon millions in each generation, but then... Woo! Then he got everything else, just literally everything else. Standardizing English is the one I'll highlight because that hits home for a lot of people in southern Louisiana where I'm from in what we call quote-unquote Cajun country. People here still have family members like grandparents, great-grandparents that were forced to speak English because they're bastardized French or Cajun French was never to be spoken in public. And if they were caught speaking it at schools, again, an example of where colonization takes place and is at its finest, they were beaten and punished and reported to the parents who also beat them for getting in trouble. Policies like those, colonization tactics like those, are how you murder a culture. And now, Cajun French is in fact endangered. I mentioned it because this is what white people did to other white people. And about white people. I threw in that line about white man's burden hoping you would catch it. Are we familiar with this? White Man's Burden was a poem by the author of The Jungle Book, Rupyard Kipling, who sought to justify the imperial conquest of the world by the British Empire. And it was also a bit of a cautionary tale for Americans when it came to the annexation of the Philippines. It argues that it was the moral obligation of the white race to civilize and Christianize the non-white people of this earth. It encouraged the economic, social, and cultural progress of non-white people through settler colonialism. It also made sure to note that the empire does not exist for the benefit of the British. Oh, no, 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 no. It is so that the primitive peoples of the world could finally become civilized. My goodness, what a terrible burden God has given the white man, hence the white man's burden. Then you have Manifest Destiny, which is in a way something that builds on that idea by explaining that the white man is destined to expand across North America, that they had special virtues, as did their institutions, which sought to redeem and remake the West in their image. 
This, of course, naturally led to the annexation of native lands. But don't it was for a greater cause. They were doing this not for them, but for you, future generations. Ugh. I mean, seriously, that just makes me sick to think about it. So I'm sorry. I need a break. And so we're going to take one. But I need to make it fashion. Ooh, a commercial break. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered what it's like being gay in the heart of the Bible Belt? Have you ever felt like you're the only LGBT person in your whole family? Or have you been looking for something different? If so, check out Out in the Woods, a weekly podcast where your friendly Southern neighborhood host, Jacob, that's me, talks about everything from coming out to finding your tribe, dating, and sometimes even Star Wars. Subscribe today so you don't miss what's coming out of the closet tomorrow. We're back. Okay, so I know that I've painted this pretty dark picture of history, as it actually is. And you're listening to this, and you're maybe wondering, well, how do you fight back against all that? You know, in a way that really damages that whole system, changes things for the better. You know, where's our green leaf? We know the colonizer doesn't get one, but what about us? Well, again, there is no leaf. Ugh. There is no one quick fix. No one cure-all. No one solution for the ramifications of colonization. There's just you and me fighting every day, doing our best to upset their stomach. That may sound bleak as shit, because it kind of is, to be honest, but can I teach you some new ways to do that? They're very fun, I promise. But if you need to go, I understand. There will be a new episode next Monday and a quiz. So take a moment. Moment. <laughs> For those still listening, good job. Love you. You look great today, by the way. Oh my goodness. My listeners are so pretty. Oh, stop distracting me with your pretty face. <laughs> anyway, back on topic. To explain why you would even want to rebel in the face of all this, think of a pineapple. A pineapple tries to eat you. Did you know that? That's why they can hurt your tongue or give you stomach issues. It's due to their acid. They're actually a cluster of berries, which together can melt insects who think they get a free meal off of them. I love them because they're one of the pettiest of fruits. A pineapple says that if you bite me, I bite back, bitch. So listeners, be a goddamn pineapple. Do things every day to upset the colon of the culture thief. Be irritable on purpose. You can make big or what's called macro gestures, which are like marches on the street, sit-ins, blocking roads, public art, defacing monuments, etc. But there's also micro gestures or tiny acts you can do that may not matter as much on their own, but in a cluster of other people doing the same thing, you can become pretty toxic to a history forger's uh, intestinal agenda. <laughs> There's a variety of ways to be justified in what I love the most, which is pettiness. And I encourage each and every one of them that does not get you into legal trouble. <laughs> so for example, I know a professor who makes stickers that say, fuck your statue, and encourages people to put them on Confederate statues, but they can go anywhere. Are you talking to people who you think are racist? You can slip in some Spanish. Racists hate hearing Spanish. And don't translate for them either because all they're hearing is that they're not included, which is a culture killer's biggest trigger ever. Are you in school? Then retitle or add the title of white men writing things to your English papers. 
much like how I've replaced Colonizer in this episode with what it really is. Also, here's another. Tired of calling senators and DAs for, I don't know, say to arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor? Then you can call and leave messages where you just read The Babysitter's Club. Like every single book of The Babysitter's Club. Like a chapter a day. I'm so serious. <laughs> and are you working for racists? Another way you can fight back is just taking their toilet paper. Don't be obvious about it. Just like... Two or three rolls extra at a time. Hide them, steal them, lose them, whatever. It's so insignificant, but it's the act that matters. The pettiness, yes, but also the act of being aware of colonization and its effects around you. That's the real resistance. Altogether, these gestures create a movement, a bow movement, in the stomach of the people in slavery. Constipate the land stealer with countless continuous acts of rebellion, both big and small. In the end, the real moral is that even though there may not be a leaf for anyone, as long as the hungry, hungry, legalized burglar of indigenous people stays ready to bite, you stay ready to bite back. If you can't get even, get petty. Can I get an amen? A million angels clapping once again that we got through our very first episode. <gasps> Big hype. Yes! So excited. So now we're gonna do the credits. Are you ready? In my podcaster voice. <laughs> Roll credits. So you want to be a better ally. Created and produced by Sai Sion H. Funky fun story time music by Noah and Nat King with Zach Alec. Co-producer and fact finder, Deanna Thibodeau. Fact checking and big ballin', PhD candidate, Brian Dobby. And just woke like this, James Tanner, MS. Thank y'all. Furthermore, you can find far more facts online at buildabetterally.com under our references page. Because I mean, I'm working on it and I like valued transparency more than polish. You can also find links to our social media too, by the way. Please like, follow, and subscribe wherever you see this podcast, which should be at least on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Whatever you do, do it quick, fam. We got 30 days before these free trials run out, okay? <laughs> 30 days and 30 nights before old boy meets his bills. <laughs> before the lights turn off. Before the podcast over. <laughs> this is... This is not how you end the first episode. <laughs> Try again, me. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I just needed to say that I do take cash. I do take Venmo. I do take PayPal. Just so you know. <laughs> Have a blessed day.